Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Brian, the UK Bitcoin Master. It's really great to have you here. Uh, Just a brief explanation before we get into the podcast in earnest. Uh, I've taken the MP3 from my YouTube uh, videos that I've done over the last few years and created them into podcast form. Now, what you'll notice through the podcast is that uh, on my YouTube channel, I clearly refer to articles that I'm showing on the live stream, which of course you're not going to be able to see on this podcast. So do take that as is, but enjoy the podcast nevertheless. Do check out my YouTube channel, ukbitcoinmaster.com. You'll find all the Bitcoin videos I've done to date. And also bitcoininterviews.com is where you'll find all the interviews that I've done with some of the greatest thought leaders in the Bitcoin space since I've been uh, live streaming. Uh, You can also check me out on Twitter, library.tv, BitChute, DTube, Facebook, and Instagram, all at UK Bitcoin Master or forward slash UK Bitcoin Master. Finally, if you enjoy the content, please tweet it out on your Twitter uh, channel so that we can get ears on these podcasts. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the podcast. Yeah, it's gone. I can't help it. <laughs> Sorry, people, we've just gone live and Gabriel was doing something. We've had a few technical hitches. Uh, apologies for that. Let's get the intro video done and let's get on with the show. Sorry, we're a bit late. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, Gabriel, are you still there? Can you still hear me? Absolutely. Fantastic. Good evening, everyone. We've had a bit of a technical hitch. This is the first technical hitch I've had since I've been doing this. So you start to get a little bit kerfuffled, but it is what it is. And we are here and it's fantastic to be with you all um, on my usual Thursday Bitcoin for Beginners show. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce my guests this evening. Uh, Before I do that, um, let's just say that today is the 27th of June Um, I said 2018 on my last show, and I've got to get that right. It is 2019. Forgive me, I've had to throw a couple of headphones on to get this all working, but it is what it is, like I've said. Um, Before we get started, as always on my show, let me just do the usual, and that is firstly the disclaimer. I don't give financial advice. I'm not a financial guys per, uh, advice person, so don't take anything I say as financial advice. Do your own research. Um, go down what I refer to as the rabbit hole yourself, and then make financial investments based on your own conclusions, nothing, anything I say. Um, That said, I want to just promote a couple of my websites that I encourage you to check out. They're in the notes below as well. Firstly, ukbitcoinmaster.com. That is where you'll find every video I've ever done. And then bitcoininterviews.com is where videos like tonight's will go or today's for Gabriel will go. Um, so if you look are looking for all the interviews I've done today, you're going to find them over there at bitcoininterviews.com. So do check them out. Do check out the notes below as well. That's really important. Um, there's 
stuff that's pertinent to this show. Um, so do check out the notes sections below. Follow me on Twitter. Please like this video, share it, subscribe to the channel, bash that bell button. If you're watching this on catch up, down in the right hand corner, you will see the subscribe button. Do subscribe to the channel. And the one thing I would ask, please share this if you enjoy the content, if you enjoy the interview, if you think it's got value, please share it across um, any social media platform that you are on. I will say that when I'm doing the interviews, I don't tend to look at the chat so much, so forgive me for that. I've got a lot of stuff going on here with the device that I use, but please put stuff in the chat, and obviously I will have a look at it afterwards. And finally, um, if you fancy dropping a tiny tip, and you don't have to, and I don't expect it, if you've got a lightning um, um, browser on your computer or a, a, um, a, an app on your phone, there you go it's all there the qr code the tipping.me address if you want to drop a few satoshis for those that are brand new and don't really get what that means you could actually send me something like 200 satoshis and you sent me a penny okay you don't need to send anything i don't particularly want you to but if you want to just put it in perspective you can send a few satoshis through the tipping.me uh, website so what i want to do i just want to bring up my friend gabriel and introduce you to gabriel so gabriel welcome to the channel my friend good to have you with us let's hope the technology doesn't let us down thank you very much for having me i'm stoked to be here yeah good excellent right well guys um I'm going to get into an interview with Gabriel. This is the first time that Gabriel and I have connected, but here's what I will say. Whoops, let's pop me back up. I will say about Gabriel, I have listened to him and watched him on many YouTube channels, and I absolutely love his philosophy around Bitcoin, life, you know, everything. And that's why I got him on the show. So hopefully with the questions that I'm going to ask Gabriel that are Bitcoin for beginners related, hopefully he will delve in a little bit deeper into his own philosophy, etc. Um, hold on, guys, I've got something technical going on here again. I don't know what that is. OK, right, I've got it. So let me pop both Gabriel and myself up. So there we are. Hopefully you can all see us both, especially my ugly mug. So, Gabriel, it's great to have you with us, my friend. Um, you are from an undisclosed location, not very close to me. We'll, <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, so a few hours away. Let's just leave it at that. So, Gabriel, what I'd like to do, if I may, is start the call off. And, and I think what I must always keep in mind, we do get some seasoned Bitcoiners on here. But I think as we go forward, um, you know, as the next few years roll on, we are going to get thousands and millions of ordinary folk pile in to Bitcoin. And I want them to be able to find, uh, you know, ordinary basic channels and interviews that they can get their head around. So that is why I call this a Bitcoin for Beginners channel. I will say right now, I don't understand tech. I don't un understand charts, analysis, Fibonacci. I don't want to. Uh, my show is all about buy some Bitcoin. Go down the rabbit hole. Buy some Bitcoin if you feel it's right. Get it off an exchange, whatever you do. Get it onto some form of hardware device. And then my view is get on with life you know, and don't keep studying charts, because if you've been studying them today, you're probably pulling your hair out, although I haven't got any. You're probably freaking out because you're thinking it went up, it went up and went up. What the hell is going on? You know what? I don't even watch it because it is what it is. 
in my view, this is about Bitcoin's going to take us 10 steps forward and then pull us back six, but we're four forward. 10 steps forward is going to pull us back. And that is the volatility um, of Bitcoin. So I guess the question I want to ask you is, tell us, a if you're OK with it, tell our audience a little bit about your background pre-Bitcoin. Maybe if I can lead into when you discovered it and, you know, when you discovered it, how did you feel about it? Were you standoffish, sceptical? You know, when did you get your first bit of Bitcoin? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I just wanted to address uh, John in the chat, uh, who mentioned that he's uh, coming from Malibu, and I just started remembering. I'm from uh, Southern California, really close to Malibu, and we used to take the dollar bus over the hills into to the beach, uh, Zuma Beach, all the time when I was a kid, so it brings back good memories. Love uh, it. So yeah, I'm a Los Angeles native, and um, really my background is in music, and I uh, went and studied classical music, uh, jazz, played piano and some other instruments, and uh, studied uh, composition for several years, uh, many years, went over to Europe and studied there. So I got a bit of a feel for different culture. Uh, it was Austria, actually, so I speak German. And um, uh, came back to L.A., produced uh, electronic music for many years, uh, house music, uh, DJed, uh, you know, had fun with my friends and, uh, and lived in Los Angeles during uh, sort of the, the time when it was a good place to be. Uh, it's changed a lot just in the last few years, gotten a lot more expensive and decided to leave a little while back. But um, as far as um, my background in technology, got a computer when I was a kid in the 80s and uh, several computers. Um, so I, I was uh, you know, playing video games and stuff when I was a kid and also doing um, some um, illegal file sharing. So come and get me... Uh, <laughs> Law enforcement. Um, yeah, we were doing file sharing in the '80s. We were, you know, we were uh, trading pirated uh, games, uh, and we uh, ran uh, our own uh, what they call the BBS back then, the bulletin board service with uh, uh, analog uh, telephone line modems. We had a 300 baud and a 1200 baud modem. So just to give you an idea of the speed, 300 baud is uh, slower than you can read. So the, the letters are coming in you know, da, 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 about like that fast. So slower than you can, <laughs> you can read a sentence. And um, yeah, we used to trade, you know, trade uh, trade software, uh, you know, games, and get all the different games and stuff. I didn't really get into programming when I was a kid. My friends were more into it, um, you know, writing programs with Basic, screwing around with Logo, which you, you make a turtle move around and stuff. And I just yeah. found it really left brain and kind of boring. And um, but later on, when the dot com boom happened, I was a young adult and. Uh, there was so much work in technology in Los Angeles that uh, I learned how to write HTML and, uh, and became a front-end web developer at that time because it was just so much work and I was you know, uh, making ends meet in between DJ gigs and piano gigs and whatever else I could scrounge up, um, you know, product remixes and things like that. So I was kind of um, semi... Uh, you know, I would do I would do contracts for months at a time and stuff. As a front-end web developer, I learned CSS and JavaScript later, which is the other two languages uh, that are used in, in web development on the front-end. And JavaScript is what you might call a genuine programming language, although a lot of people hate it. Yep. It is an actual logic language, unlike HTML, which is just for um, you know laying out content. So that's my background in technology for many years. I was uh, you know writing relatively sophisticated JavaScript, you know, senior front-end. So I'm pretty versed in um, sort of practical programming 
I would definitely not call myself an expert. I do not have a CS degree. Uh, you know, come at me with some design patterns, and I've never heard of them. Uh, so, and don't, definitely don't get me to architect uh, your your large software project. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar, and I, I definitely jumped out a few years ago. So uh, the very latest front end tech is something I'm not up on. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so that's my background in technology, and that did actually gave me a big leg up when I heard about Bitcoin, even though I didn't pay attention to it the very first time because I had no interest at all in uh, economics, money, and finance. Uh, this is would have been in late 2012, so yep. uh, Bitcoin was five bucks to ten bucks at that time. Oh. And. Um, uh, girlfriend of my friend um, was real nerdy you know funky chick and real interesting creative chick and she um, was talking about it and I it would my, my friend you know was um, she was like you should invest because he had a little bit of cash business owner he had a little bit of capital and um, he didn't pay any attention to her at all uh, yep. he's like oh it sounds like a scam and I didn't even give it that much I didn't even say it sounded like a scam I was just totally uninterested in it and then Three months later, uh, four months later was was the big run up in April 2013 when the price went from about 25 to like 10x in, yep. in like a couple of weeks. It went from you know th or 40 to, to 250 or whatever it was. Yep. And I was like, wow, that, I'm hearing about this thing again, and now it's like shooting up. What's going on with this? And that was actually when I believe the Snowden stuff had just started coming out in early 2013. There was definitely a lot of there was the WikiLeaks things that were kind of uh, com, you know quite coming along at a relatively fast clip, and I was yep. paying a lot of attention to that stuff. Um, I was always kind of reading, uh, keeping in, in, uh, in track of tech news on Slashdot, just because I was interested in it, and you know had been following and reading. Sort of, I read Wired in the '90s and followed the the, the uh, crypto wars of the '90s a little bit, even though. You know, technologically, I was studying classical music, so I had no basis to understand what was going on, um, sort of technically with the cryptography. But I could tell that, you know, there was definitely a movement happening where the the tech freedom fighters in the '90s were trying to prevent the behemoth of the state from, um, you know, the Le Leviathan from, like, you know, shutting down all of the all the cryptographic sort of developments and everything. So uh, when the big run-up happened in April of 2013, I was, things kind of came together in my head and that was when I sat down because actually I was curious enough to look into what the hell Bitcoin was in, at the end of 2012. And yep. <coughs> I opened up the Wikipedia cryptography article and immediately closed it. Because, or no, actually, that's not how it happened. I opened up the Bitcoin white paper and immediately closed it. Because actually, uh, Satoshi used a term which is very common in computer science. And even with all those years, 15 years of uh, front end web development behind me, I yep. didn't understand what the heck he was talking about. And that word is a word we're all very familiar with now block. Okay. Now, block, I, I only just connected this last week believe it or not. Um, block is a term used in computer science in general to describe a uh, chunk of data. Right. Um, it's, it's used in data storage, which I already knew for years. Since I was a little kid, I knew this. Um, when you defragment a drive, 
It's divided into blocks. They're I used blocks. to defrag my old Windows computer. <laughs> Good grief. Exactly. You got to defrag the, you know, before they, you know, had automatic defragmentation tools. Yeah. Your data would be all scattered all over your drive and you needed to, it, it would make it really slow and have to look for stuff for 20 million years. So then you would defragment it overnight and it would line everything all up, line all the sequential blocks of data in a row. So yep. this is a really common term. And Satoshi, of course, he didn't bother defining the term because it was it's a totally old school really common computer science term but i didn't know what the hell he was talking about i was like what block what is he what is he talking about and like it just totally went over my head and i and then i gave up <laughs> four months later I, I i hung in there and now i couldn't understand the white paper you know there's some math in there and stuff i couldn't really understand that much of the white paper but i you know, did some more research and found articles and found BitcoinTalk.org, which is the you know original old school forum. Um, I have a bunch of old posts on there before my account got hacked, but uh, I didn't mm. have a strong password for them. But um, <laughs> oops. so, um, what's that? I said oops. <laughs> oh yeah, somebody hacked it and they put spam on it, and then it got locked down. So, but my old posts are up there. Anyways, um, I looked at some articles to help me understand how you know what what it was um i had to read the article on public key cryptography i didn't know what that was yet i had to read the article on and then i started reading articles on austrian economics which immediately made sense to me whereas everything else i had read about economics was gobbledygook for all the years before that until yeah. i uh i had never i didn't i had heard of like mises and just just barely but um, when I actually read the article, I was like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And then I was like, oh, wow, you know, <clears throat> decreasing supply. That makes sense. You know, in order to, and then everything just started to come together. And uh, nowadays, I like to say that Bitcoin rests on four main pillars yep. of knowledge. It's created from these four pillars. And you have to have a minimum level of knowledge in all four or the edifice will collapse in, in your mind. You will not be able to understand why Bitcoin works and why it functions and, and, and um, why the system is uh, secure and um, solid. Mm -hmm. Those four areas of knowledge, and you don't even need a lot of knowledge of each. You only need a tiny bit, actually. You only need a minimum knowledge of each. You kind of need to know the very basic concepts of each. And those are cryptography uh, and uh, free open source software. Um, game theory and Austrian economics. The two human sides and the two computers, the two technical sides. The cryptography, yep. uh, cryptography and free open source software, and then the economics and game theory. So those four areas, you have to know the basics. But really, it's so minimal. It's literally a page or two of like, uh, you know, Wikipedia or whatever, and you know, sort of information on each of the four areas is enough to understand. If you can really grok the concept, you know, the basic concept of um, uh, what's that? What's the game theory? Uh, the um, the equilibrium. What's it called? Um, the 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 uh, oh, Nash's equilibrium is the okay. one concept from game theory you need to get. Yep. Uh, in, in cryptography, it's really <coughs> just um, asymmetric cryptography and public key cryptography. Uh, and with free open source software, you just kind of have to understand how 
th that works and uh, you know how the contributions to the software work and why it incentivizes uh, future usage and how sort of Linux took over the server market. And right. The, the, uh, for economics, you have to understand uh, some basic concepts of Austrian economics, uh, you know, like supply and demand and monetary um, sort of monetary issues as well. So it's really about a couple of pages for each of those four areas. Boom. If you understand that and then you look into how Bitcoin is created, you will understand it. It's amazing to me that there are still economists, um, gold bugs, tech people. They haven't done, the, the, they maybe have two or three even of these pillars and they haven't done the last piece and they're like resistant because they have maybe some emotional attachment to a, uh, a conflicting philosophy from one of these areas that uh, is in opposition to the Bitcoin approach and they refuse to uh, absorb the necessary knowledge in order to understand Bitcoin. Or either that or they're just scammers and uh, they do understand it and they don't want Bitcoin to succeed. Uh, okay, so let, let, me, let me just throw this back at you then, if I may, um, because what I, I am, I've, I've um, well, I listen rather than read. So I've listened to the Bitcoin standard. Um, I've done as much research as I can to try and get me in a place that this feels right for me to invest in. I completely believe that it will be a legacy I can leave for my children and grandchildren and they will live in a completely different world in terms of money, etc. But I don't understand anything you've just said. What does that mean? When, when you said you need to understand those four pillars, is that if you... What do you need to understand that for? Is that an area that you need to go into from a business perspective, from developing perspective? Where does that come from? Because I don't understand them. I mean, I've got a basic understanding of, you know, the difference, you know, what Austrian economics is, so to speak. But I don't understand cryptography. I really don't. I got a phone call from a friend of mine that said, get some Bitcoin. And I said, why? He said, just go, go down the rabbit hole. And, you know, I started watching Adam Meister on, on YouTube and I followed every video. And then obviously I picked up some of his interviews and you've been on there. And, and that, that's widened out now to the Vortex and, you know, Ansel and all the others. So I know in my heart that I'm in the right place at the right time. And I also know there are people that are in this speculative just to make money. There are people in it because they understand it's going to change the world. But I believe I'm in the middle of that because I do believe it's going to change the world. But of course, being my age, you know, a good pension, a life-changing pension is, you know, none of us will turn that down. But equally, I'm not just in it for the money. But I don't understand those four pillars that you've just said. Um, Bat that back at me. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, this is, I'm pretty left brain guy when it comes to these type of decisions. Although, you know, I'm also intuitive. It sounds like you are a little bit more from an intuitive angle, but you've also done uh, plenty of research. So it sounds, I mean, if you've listened to the Bitcoin standard, you've got more than enough knowledge about Austrian economics to make a judgment about that particular area. Yeah. Um, so you know that's 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 one really strong thing. The other just footnote I want to give about this knowledge issue is I, I'm describing in order to have a relatively solid understanding of what Bitcoin, what the Bitcoin system is, right? Yep. That's not yep. necessary for everybody in order to make a personal decision to invest, obviously. 
Yeah. The other important thing is, uh, and, and uh, I'm going to bring up um, Nassim Taleb right now. Uh, he's uh, an incredible modern thinker, and a lot of his knowledge or a lot of his approach and philosophy <clears throat> uh, applies directly to many different areas in Bitcoin. And he understands that, and that's why he gets Bitcoin. He wrote the introduction to the Bitcoin standard uh, by uh, Seyfedin Amos. So yep. uh, Taleb talks about uh, the, uh, what's it called? It's the musical that was so popular and the longer it went the longer they thought it would go and that's the that's sort of a truism in the world it's the right. lady effects so it's the, the, the no it's not the musical it's it's the <laughs> it's the restaurant where they used to do the deals for musicals in the tin pan alley or wherever it was it was called yeah. the lindy or it was called the lindy or something so the lindy effect is the longer it's been around the longer yep. it's likely to be around so the situation yep. in 2019 is quite different from how it was in 2013. It's over twice as old now. Bitcoin is now 10 years old. So if you're making a decision about whether to invest in it, you're looking at a much greater history. We, you know, 10 or 20 million people are, you know, obsessed with it or, or invested in it or interested in it or more. And um, you know, when it was only four years old, it was still highly experimental. Uh, in March of 2013, which is uh, you know a month before I went down the rabbit hole and spent two weeks reading everything I could get my hands on on the internet about Bitcoin. Uh, in March, just a month earlier, there was a catastrophic uh, outage, which is much less bad in Bitcoin than it is for uh, you know all these other sites that have outages all the time. I mean, giant. Sites like Facebook and Google still have outages on the web. The Bitcoin outage was, was I believe, was only uh, a six-hour ordeal. But that was the most serious issue. Um, some some uh, bad actors, in my opinion, uh, right. you know, associated with uh, the GCHQ in the, in the UK, pushed Cheltenham. Code that <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they pushed some code uh, that crashed uh, the Bitcoin network for about six hours. That's a or, yeah, I think it was about six hours. That's the last time we've had any. Uh, that much serious of an interruption in the uh, uh, in the blockchain, um, they had to they actually had to roll back uh, an update in March of 2013. So that was a really serious thing, you know. I mean, it was it was still very risky back then. Uh, you know, the amount of due diligence that you needed to do back then in order to convince yourself that this thing was worth anything because of the Lindy effect, it just wasn't Lindy yet. It was still so young. Uh, yep. It was it was a greater amount. Nowadays, you can definitely. I mean, there's tons of you know financial pundits. Those guys don't anything about cryptography, but um, if, if I may, I could just uh, explain a couple things as best I can, really quickly. I, I yeah. like to think I have a pretty good talent for boiling down complex concepts into sound bites or package them in a way so that noobs can understand them better. So here's my attempt at uh, putting together a little uh, an analogy or explanation of two really important cryptographic concepts. Cryptography is definitely the one where most people trip up, and I definitely did. I opened the article for uh, you know for cryptography, I think, in December 2012, and was like, oh, I don't get it. Uh, but it's actually, and that's because the articles are really poorly written. I think they're written by cryptographers instead of by normies, and they just really suck. <laughs> so here's my attempt at a little bit of a tutorial. First of all, um, asymmetric cryptography. Now, am I using this term right? Yes. Yeah. Asymmetric cryptography refers to... Okay, so first of all, what's cryptography? Cryptography is co uh, encoding and decoding stuff. 
So if yep. you remember, you got the little wheel, right? There's the two, there's the two wheels, right? And there's the one that rotates on the, on the disc behind it. And there's like the two letters, right? You might have the letters, like two rows of letters, right? And you have a little decoding and encoding tool, right? This is like yep. something that you used 2,000 years ago. You make two of the exactly the same, uh, you know, little device with wooden wheels that that rotated, and so A is X and Q is K and W. So then you have a little code, right? And um, you give one to your buddy. Your buddy goes to uh, you know over the ocean to Sicily, and you're in Rome, and you guys can send encoded messages to each other. And uh, you know a random uh, horseman who opens your your uh, parchment won't be able to tell what the Latin says because it's encoded and you have to take some time on either end to encode yep. and decode. Now, something like that where it's just a simple one-to-one, -one, uh, you know, one letter equals a different letter, it's actually really easy to crack that with mathematics. And that's something <coughs> that they figured out in the Middle Ages. Uh, and so they began coming up as the math became more sophisticated they came up with more and more sophisticated tools to encode and decode information uh, which is usually language back then or numbers yep so as the technology developed uh, we developed ever more sophisticated tools especially of course as we got into the 20th century with machines right uh, electric machines and in world war ii that was when you had uh, alan turing at bletchley park uh, you know, creating the first real programmable computer that was used for decryption. So basically, it was it was what they what we call today brute forcing, which is um, computing all of the um, you know all of the possibilities, just ripping through all of them until you came up with something that was legible. Yep. Uh, and so that and that because the Nazis happened to be using us, one of their devices was actually uh, not very well designed, and they left they left it in use for much too long. Uh, and that, that was they were able to crack that, and, and that gave the uh, Allies a real edge in World War II. Yep. So now, um, pushing forward a bit further, um, and th and actually, let's actually not not yet. Um, so asymmetric cryptography refers to the fact that uh, encrypting something is or decrypting it is much easier than brute forcing it. In right. other words, the whole the whole point of effective cryptography is that you can uh, you know encrypt or decrypt something in seconds or minutes. But in order to calculate through all of the possibilities, in order to find one that's legible, you would have to spend you know uh, years. Now in in Bletchley Park, they would only maybe have to spend overnight or a week instead of uh, a minute, which is not a good. That's not asymmetric enough to be yep. effective, right? Because if they've got this machine that can break it. But that's the principle between, behind asymmetric cryptography. It's this mathematics where one direction of the equation is super easy and the other direction is darn near impossible or just super hard. So now as our machines became uh, better and better and we had everybody doing using computers in the 60s and 70s, um, it became so asymmetrical that uh, in order to break a given encryption method with brute force, it might take, uh, wh whereas you know, encrypting or decrypting it could take a minute, it might take 60 million years <laughs> to break. It's so asymmetric that it's um, effectively impossible to break. 
So that's been the situation since the 1970s, where we have this strong, uh, asymm um, strong mathematical uh, equi uh, algorithms, essentially, that um, are really fast to encrypt and decrypt if you have the key. But if you try to brute force it, it takes longer than the heat death of the universe. You know, like it could take yep. trillions of years or something. If you're using today's computers, now this is the, the there's the quantum computer thing where they don't exist yet, but this this theoretical type of computer uh, could actually break certain algorithms, algorithms, but not others. So it's just a matter of um, utilizing mathematics in order to create these systems where we can encrypt and decrypt things fast, but they take really long to break. That's asymmetric cryptography, and that's why. Um, you know, PGP and Bitcoin and um, uh, maybe not TLS, but certain other, you know, uh, algorithms that we use to make information private on the Internet. Yep. That's why we're able to even use the Internet like we can today for e-commerce and lots of different things, because we have this asymmetric cryptography, which is ultra hard to break and really easy to use, fast and easy to use. So that's asymmetric cryptography. That's why we're able to ha create cryptographic systems uh, with computers today of any type. The other important concept in cryptography to understand is public key cryptography. This is something that was invented in the 70s and uh, it was made uh, usable and widespread in the early 90s with the invention of PGP. Pretty good privacy uh, <laughs> in the early 90s. And um, this uh, PGP is really just a simple program to encrypt and decrypt messages. Now and to make it easy for people to do that. So, um, uh, public key cryptography, I came up with a pretty decent uh, analogy for it a year or two ago. And that's this. Imagine a lock, right? So that's actually, that's why there's a little lock on your browser and it's locks yep. are a yep. form of mechanical cryptography, you could say. Yep. So imagine a lock with two keyholes, all right? And you don't want just anyone to be able to lock um, your, this lock, okay? It's not a lock that you can just push together. You have to have a key in order to lock it, okay? Yep. But you, don't, you also want a different set of people to be able to unlock it, okay? So let's say you, only you want to be able to unlock your lock. But you want to be able to give your friends the ability to lock it at will, yep. right? Yep, with you. So... Yeah, so you create this lock. It can't be pushed together, but it has two different keyholes. One is only used for locking, and one is used only used for unlocking. Yep. Okay. You for the you have you you have you start off with one of each, right? You can make as many copies of each as you want, but you don't make any copies of the unlocking key because only you want that. You make six copies of the locking key because you want your friends to be able to to shut the lock for you if they need to, right? So let's say you have a box and uh, you want your friends to be able to drop off things in it. But you don't want just anybody to be able to see the box, and you always leave the box empty whenever, um, you, know, uh, whenever you make the, whenever you, you know, uh, keep the lock uh, ready to be locked, so to speak. So yep. uh, whenever you, you keep the box open, and your friends can, can, can lock the lock, right? It can't be closed yep. by just anybody. That's what public key cryptography is. The public key is the locking key. The private key is the unlocking key. It's, yep. You split up the keys so that only one of each can be used for each purpose. Yep. You give out your public key to everybody. Anybody can encrypt stuff for you. 
Yep. It doesn't risk. It's not a risk for you at all to encrypt things and send them to you. No big deal. But only you have the private key that will allow you to unlock uh, or decrypt messages. Yep. That's an important concept that was invented in the in the 70s, and um, it seems quite simple now, but it was it was a huge breakthrough, and that enabled us to have the situation where we have this network where there's adversaries all over the place, and there's um, anonymous people or users everywhere. There's anonymous identities everywhere and danger everywhere, man-in-the-middle attacks. You have to be able to send messages. You only want to send encrypted messages everywhere. You never want to send clear text. And um, and it, it enabled this situation where you can send nobody. You don't have to meet up ahead of time and give each other the little wheel. You don't have to meet up to have a one, uh, you know, a one-time uh, code sheet that they did things like that in World War One. You would have to meet up, you know, in Malta, and then the ships go across the world and uh, use radio, you know, early radio or whatever it was, or carrier pigeons, and you'd have to meet up first in order to trade the 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 the, the um, encryption method with each other. Yep. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to do that anymore. You create both keys yourself, and you send out the public key to everybody. That means anybody can encrypt messages that only you can read. Everyone does that with each other, and nobody needs to know who each other is. That situation has only been around since the 70s. So with Bitcoin, um, you know, addresses are really just a hashed public key. A hash is a way of just squishing a bunch of data into a certain amount of characters. So yep. um, uh, basically, uh, you know, what we call addresses is really just like it's like your public key. So people can see your address, unlike, for example, the classic shit fiat, uh, you know, banking system example, at least in the States before chip and pin, um, your uh, credit card or, or no, your, your bank account number is both your public and private key. So anybody with your bank account number and routing number could steal money for your, from your account for years. Yep. Of course, fraud was totally rampant. All you needed was somebody, and it was insane. There's, there was no pr uh, pub password to do anything. For years, everyone could just, all you needed was somebody's credit card information. It's the same now. So, um, you know, it's, it's highly insecure. Whereas with Bitcoin, your address is your public key. Anyone can send you Bitcoin to your public key. But only you can spend that Bitcoin again. If you get it, after you get it, only you can send it somewhere else you can receive as much bitcoin as you want anybody can know your public key anybody can know your address but only you can spend from it which is why we keep hammering all the time about you know not your keys not your bitcoin lose your keys bitcoin gone you've just gone and explained that in a, in a deeper way but essentially i get where you're coming from and 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 i think it's just a better way of of, you know, although there'd be people watching this, and I know there are, and I tell you what, I've got my daughter who's on the call, who's getting into Bitcoin as well, which is really exciting. Sometimes I have my granddaughter on the call, you know, and obviously they're just starting to learn, and they're probably going, oh, I've got a headache. But the point is, I see where you're coming from. There is so much that sits beneath this, isn't there, that's developed over over decades centuries to get to the point where we are now where we've got our two keys you know instead of a key a door lock key you've got your public key and you've got your private key that only you should know about so um flipping heck uh, i think everybody should pay
pound that like button for Gabriel Divine because flipping hell, that was good on the Bitcoin for Beginners show. Brilliant. Um, is there something else you need to explain or can we move on? Um, that was the cryptography stuff. That's the hardest part. I mean, I can quickly, let me just quickly mention some of those other things that I, that I, that I talked about and just go just very briefly. Now, I'm not an expert in uh, Nash equilibrium. This is a game theoretical term. Game theory is the study of games and why yep. they work and why people participate in them and why, uh, why games are designed the way they are, why, ha why they have rules in certain ways and, and opting out of rules, changing rules, all the different, you know, things involving games. And it's amazing how much human behavior uh, can be understood in a game framework. So yep. uh, Nash equilibrium um, is, it's really a type of balance. Um, I'm definitely not an expert in that, but it's a way, it's a way to, to recognize that um, the, the, the incentives of the Bitcoin system, uh, which is like how the Bitcoin is created um, you know, by the miners, um, and how uh, the investors uh, and the node operators, there's yep. a balance of power there. It's, it kind of, it creates a special type of equilibrium. That's as much as I'll say about Nash equilibrium. Yep. Um, and w regarding free open source software, th it's really important movement since the 80s and early 90s uh, to understand the rise of free open source software and the philosophy behind it. Um, it's, 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 that's a deep subject. I won't go into it too deeply, but it's important to recognize open source software means that anybody can see the code. Yep. And that means that it becomes much more difficult to hide bugs, backdoors, you know, flaws, malware. It is still possible. You still require human beings to uh, you know, review the code and examine it for flaws, and things definitely still get through the cracks. But um, by you, m much software, you know, much private software is not open source. You know, like for example, uh, Windows. <laughs> uh, it's actually totally insane that any of us even use an operating system that isn't open source because it's obviously going to be riddled with uh, you know scamware essentially uh, spyware. Yep. You know, yep. the three-letter agencies in Western all over the world are yep. um, spying on you, and they have agreements yep. with these companies to, to completely draw off your data. So, free open source software and, and the, the freedom, uh, the free part, people often say floss instead of FOSS, uh, free Libra open source software. Because not only is it free in the sense of there's no uh, commercial side, there, nobody's uh, pay, uh, you know, charging money for the software, but it's also free in the sense of freedom, which is the, we usually use the French word Libra to describe that side of it. So it's a liberty increasing. In other words, the software is meant to empower you as an individual and to increase your freedom of action in the world, to, cre to make you more powerful. And Bit the internet, uh, uh, Linux, and Bitcoin are definitely very firmly in this tradition, PGP, very firmly in this tradition of software which is meant to increase your individual freedom in a very um, explicit way. Flipping heck! <laughs> That is awesome. Even I've got my head around some of that. So I've always been fearful of Windows machines for donkey's years, which is why I moved to Mac. But, you know, we won't go down the rabbit hole about Linux and everything else again. But um, I guess what you're saying is there is way, 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 way more 
to Bitcoin than just somebody buying some coins and just getting on with their life. There's this, there's just the cryptography side of it is massive, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm getting from this that, you know, we could spend hours talking about this. And this is what I've listened to you talking about when you've been on other people's shows. And I find it fascinating. Um, in the interest of the show, I guess we better move on. So tell me, um, would you would you class yourself as a Bitcoin maximalist? Do you have do you have alts? Do you you know what are your thoughts on alts? You know, I, I personally believe before you answer it, um, there will be a place for them. I think we need the top tier altcoins. There'll always be innovation, but you know, uh, for me personally, I just hold Bitcoin. Um, when I got into, it, I think I did get a couple of Ethereum. I've still got them, but the, and I don't know where they are. I think they're on a, a wallet somewhere. Um, uh, and then I've just got the you know the forks and airdrops. That's me. What about you um you know I, i'm a kind of a, a little bit of a gray zone here uh, you know everybody ha has their own opinion about things and yep i uh, you know i am definitely closely allied with maximalists and i, I they did a big uh, somebody made this great uh chart of crypto twitter uh, yep. it was like a map actually not a chart a map and um uh, there was this big yellow area off to the west that was all the Bitcoin people, and then it kind of shaded into green for like the, the rest of crypto. Yep. And um, you know, I'm in like deep, you know, extreme right away on the west coast of, of Bitcoin maximalist, uh, you know, West Bitcoin land, uh, uh, on that chart because of everybody that I'm friends with. Um, I definitely am a monetary maximalist. Uh, this is really uh, an Austrian viewpoint. It does come from Mises, although uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe is really the economist most closely asso associated with the idea of monetary monopoly in a uh, free economy. Yep. The idea there really is that given the choice, so so. Let me just give a little bit of background about uh, Austrian views on money. First of all, it's important to keep in mind the difference between money and currency. Money is a good chosen by a market to act as a store of account, uh, excuse me, store of value, yep. medium of exchange, and, and, and unit of account. So this is a, a good that's already existing in the economy that people choose because of its properties, not because it's a random thing or because they're all hallucinating or some <laughs> shared delusion or some crap. This is, yeah. this is what uh, Keynesians like to say. Um, it's, it's absolutely because of the properties of this good. So yeah. gold became money, and gold even beat out silver after many centuries where they were both money. Uh, eventually, gold build, beat out silver in uh, 1871 because it was just better. Silver tarnishes. Uh, now, gold is not that divisible, but by then there had, there was enough uh, infrastructure in the world so that people, you know, had uh, gold, you know, had gold substitutes where the you know the bank banks would hold the gold and they used paper back and forth. I mean, that introduced a level, certain level of fraud, but not, even so. Silver's use as money ended conclusively at that point. So um, the entire world economy, as the world grew closer and communication technology improved, uh, the world converged on one money. And that is Hoppe's contention, is that given the choice, and that is, uh, I don't use that word lightly, I don't use it arbitrarily, given 
a, 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 um, a non-coerced choice. In other words, we're not being coerced, violently threatened to use government scrip instead of money. Given the choice, market participants will settle on a single good in yep. any given economy. And as the world, you know, is has a lot of trade now, it's it's really easy to see that it's a we have a one, you know, economy. You can sort of divide it up into these areas, but really, it's 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 quickly becoming a single organism or ecosystem. So, um, Hoppe's idea is definitely that um, the world will settle on a single good. Now, you could argue conceivably that um, the world might settle on one good for digital use, uh, you know, one money for digital and one money for physical. I doubt it. The, unless we have a uh, massive infrastructure uh, destruction event, uh, in which case, yeah, you might have, um, you know, a, a technological money like Bitcoin might be at a great disadvantage. But for example, uh, you know, a series of massive um, solar flashes or what they call mini novas, you know, uh, completely frying uh, all electronic devices. And you've maybe got some Bitcoin full nodes in a Faraday cage underground somewhere, but nobody's got enough uh, electronic equipment in order to trade it fast or anything like that. So it just kind of dies and goes by the way, wayside. So Bitcoin would definitely, you could you could argue that Bitcoin's vulnerable to a situation like that. And yep. we might go back to gold, for example. Uh, but that would there would be so many other problems that like <laughs> uh, digital money might be the least of your worries in that situation. Indeed. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. So um, I am definitely a monetary maximalist. I don't actually think gold will keep its monetary value for very much longer. Um, maybe only even a decade. Uh, be for various reasons. Um, I could go into that if you'd like. But yeah, I'm definitely a monetary maximalist. I don't believe that any other digital token will be money. Now, that doesn't mean that you couldn't use certain digital tokens uh, for trade, um, you know, back and forth, but it wouldn't be the money that people use to store value and, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, for, for exchange, um, you know, day to day, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, even see with something like Lightning Network, now we have uh, scalability, where we can not only scale to lots, lots of transactions, you know, per second. We can also yep. scale down to tiny transactions. So you don't need an altcoin uh, for like, really, silver was an altcoin for small transactions. That's what it was. No bank w was using. I mean, other than certain special circumstances, no bank or nation state was using silver to trade. Obviously, gold is far more dense, uh, much easier, cheaper to transport. And um, but I don't think we're going to need that because. Bitcoin is extensible. Bitcoin, um, as we see with Lightning Network, it's a system that's built on top of the Bitcoin system. So uh, I think Bitcoin will be the money. Uh, now that 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 leads me to the question that I was going to ask. Actually, I mean, I mean, there's an argument. I mean, there's there's two sides of the fence. And somebody I used to follow when I first got into Bitcoin that I don't anymore, as quite prominent, you know, is always saying that the whole world's going to collapse. The whole financial world currencies are going to you know hyperinflate they're all going to collapse and then you know bitcoin's going to be the new money um i actually i'm not sure if that's going to happen i think they'll coexist i think there'll be an argument for you know there's certain people that will be entrenched in you know the old system and then there'll be the people that you know see the value of the new system where do you stand on that 
Um, well, it's a matter of uh, your time scale. So, like a lot of things, there's a, there's a scale. It's scale dependent, right? So, um, on a, you know several years time scale, I don't think that uh, fiat can be destroyed. You know, hyper Bitcoinization. I do see happening, but I think it's probably going to take 10 to 30 years. Yeah. Uh, but I do see Bitcoin um, destroying, in general, well, destroying all of today's government fiat. Now, I think that various uh, you know, monopolies on violence in geographic zones will attempt to create script and um, force literally force with legal tender laws, force yep. people to use it, force it to have value in a, in a limited jurisdiction. And um, they will have varying degrees of success and all eventually fail uh, until there's a certain point that will be reached. I believe it is this century. It's not going to take longer than 80 years. Uh, where people just won't even pay attention to it anymore, and it just, you, nobody will even try it anymore, and everyone just will just use Bitcoin. Governments will save in Bitcoin. Banks, if they exist, will uh, you know central banks if they want to uh, you know have a I don't see a central bank as an issuance situation, so I don't think they're going to exist either by that point. But yeah, so I think it's going to take a few decades, but uh, eventually uh, these fiat experiments, instead of lasting 40 years like they have historically. Um, I think they're going to last, you know, 10 and then three and then six months and then people will just stop trying. Now, uh, coming back to your previous question about altcoins, I'm a monetary maximalist, but I'm suspicious, not suspicious. I, I have um, an intuition that perhaps digital tokens have a, a, you know, a wide use case, a wider use case than just for money. And that's sort of the Ethereum idea right so they they, yep. they, they yep. are thinking of, of, of ethereum as a uh, the way they put it is a, as a, uh, a fuel uh, ga gas for the world computer now I don't think that ethereum will succeed in that goal at all it hasn't and it won't uh, I don't think the incentives are in line correctly and the entire team is totally misguided uh, it's structurally much too flawed it'll never succeed at that but the general concept of a digital commodity, which of course Bitcoin is the first digital commodity ever to exist. It's the first scarce digital thing ever created before yep. Bitcoin. Yep. Anything digital could be copied endlessly as long as you had enough you know, data storage. Yep. Now we have a situation where there's a scarce digital good. Um, it's conceivable to me that there are more use cases for a digital commodity. I don't think any of them will. Bitcoin has way too big of a head start, way too many network effects, and also way too great of an origin story, and it was done correctly from the start. There's no way any other digital commodity can ever become money as long as Bitcoin can, you know, survive, you know, what, let's say there's quantum networking or quantum computing could be, there could be technical things that get in the way of Bitcoin, but never another different digital commodity that, that you know, might have that's built on the same te technological base. Which, yep. you know, we have these uh, digital computers, right? Yep. Um, but this project, for example, MadeSafe. Now, people diss MadeSafe because there's already a 
systems that have been around longer for um, doing what MadeSafe does, which is the idea of a decentralized internet. Or, uh, you know, we have sort of decentralized distributed storage, and everybody's, uh, you know, participating as, uh, you know, storing data for everybody else and retrieving data for everybody else. And then the token is used to, uh, to you know, um, uh, control the bandwidth and storage amounts, right? Yep. Um, now, people say, "Oh, well, you know, uh, there's some other systems that are also doing that. There's, there's, a, you know, there's free open source uh, versions of this type of software that have been around for 10 and 15 years, but they didn't have the token idea. And it's conceivable that a token could correctly incentivize a system like that. Now, MainSafe is a really ambitious project. They've been at it for uh, 15, 14, no, let's see, 13 years, and." Um, I would say it doesn't even look that close to being completed. It's a giant project. They totally could fall flat on their face and not succeed. They've come up with one of the three really important mathematical um, uh, sort of algorithms um, for creating consensus in the system. Uh, and even that one, you know, is to, you don't know if it's going to succeed. So it's ultra risky investment, super speculative, totally very much could fail. I would say greater than 50% chance it fails. But this general idea of using a digital token that's genuinely scarce, provably scarce mathematically, um, to incentivize a system uh, or represent things that are scarce. As long as those things are directly tied to the token, like in Bitcoin. In other words, you have to expend computing power to brute force the hash in order to create new Bitcoin. You cannot fake the Bitcoin. That's why it's truly impossible to counterfeit Bitcoin. You can't fake the electrical power and you know uh, IT expertise to set up the mining rigs, but yep. especially the electrical power cannot be faked. Just like with gold, you can't fake having dug up the ore and purified your gold. You can't fake the atoms. Same thing with Bitcoin. You cannot fake having created the Bitcoin with electrical power. Um, as long as the thing you're tracking with the digital token is something that is totally exactly provable, such as storage space, bandwidth, or electrical power, then I think a digital commodity could be useful to create certain systems one day. Very difficult challenge, very new area of knowledge and area of expertise, area of education, uh, it's, uh, and also huge amounts of engineering work uh, need to go into creating this. So it's not only uh, engineering, but it's also theoretical. Like I said, MadeSafe create, came out with this uh, white paper a year or two ago, which is one of the three algorithms that they need in order to create their whole system. And it's, it's a really new area. Ethereum guys, you know, are always coming out with. Uh, you know, crazy, uh, you know, types of white papers. They're very speculative about different social systems like proof of stake systems and things like that. Yep. Um, and meanwhile, in Bitcoin, we're coming out with huge amounts of uh, new knowledge. It's an extremely new area uh, that it has an explosion of activity where it was very quiet before Bitcoin. So um, it's really interesting to see that. And I do believe that digital commodities will perform a function in future decentralized and distributed systems which will replace and um, be totally new types in the future so like we have google we have youtube we have uh, all these ser centralized services now uber for example is a great example uh, example people wanted to make a decentralized version i totally think it's possible 
but it's something that conceivably might need a token. You might not be able to use only Bitcoin Lightning. You might need a token that's tied to, you know, GPS, where it's provably, you know, it's provable that you move from A to B or something. I mean, that's a little bit sketchy, but if we can find ways to create these indelible links between the, the world of atoms and the world of bits, um, it's conceivable we could use these. Well, really, Bitcoin is the only one, and that's why it's the only one that actually works. You know, proof of work is this indelible link between atoms and bits. You cannot fake brute force. You either <laughs> made that Bitcoin or you didn't. Yeah. So we have this. We, that's the one thing in the entire quote-unquote crypto space. That's the one. That's the. That's why Bitcoin is scarce. So it's it's not a trick of the mind. It has nothing to do with blockchain. That's why there's no. That's why this blockchain idea has been around five years and nobody can make anything with it because it yep. doesn't actually have any validity. It's actually just mid '90s database tech. It's proof of work that makes Bitcoin scarce. Yep. If you can create another proof of, and that's sort of Maidsafe's idea, proof of resource, right? You prove provably have a terabyte. You've you know, you've given a terabyte of storage to the network. You prove that there's 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 no way to fake the fact that you have that data and that you've given it to people. Uh, I don't know if they can actually do that, but if you can create an indelible link from the world of, <coughs> of, of atoms and the world of abundant of infinite abundance bits, then you can then you can maybe uh, have use digital commodities to create new decentralized systems. Now, and uh, a lot of them won't require that, and you'll just be able to use Bitcoin. I'm, I'm assuming lightning for a lot of these things because yeah. constantly, um, especially machine to machine, right? So you'll have systems of incentive where we don't even know what's going on. There's these tiny bots, what we might call, or tiny little programs that are running autonomously in everybody's smartphone or computers, mainframes, data centers, wherever they are, trillions of them trading with each other in these systems. That's how I see the lightning, the lightning network actually moving forward. Well, I've got to say something <clears throat> for you techies out there. That's just incredible information. I have to say um, a lot of it, Gabriel, I have to be honest, has gone right over my head. But that's it's not about me. It is about those people that find this interesting, that are going to find this in the future, that will find what you've said really useful. And it really has been useful. And I'm sure it's been useful for a lot of people in the chat. Um, I'm on the hour mark, so I'm very mindful of that. So I want to pull it all together. What I do want to ask you if i may um in terms of let's say the fiat freaks out there the people that are in this for bitcoin to climb and make money what do you think is going to happen over the next two to five years in terms of the the price of bitcoin i mean i have absolutely no interest in watching the price i just know that if i sit in this long enough life's going to be really really good and rosy but in terms of where you see this thing going what are your views on that you know, I do really think that we're going to see similar moves in Bitcoin that we have in the past. Um, it's an adoption curve. It's an S-curve. Yep. Um, like with any new technology, uh, an S-curve basically is this idea of, of it's very shallow at the bottom because nobody's ever heard of it. It's then tiny. it goes up steep. Yeah. 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 And then everybody hears of it and it goes crazy and then everybody adopts it and then everybody's got a telephone and then and then so many people have a telephone that it, the adoption curve has to 
go back because there's no more people to use it anymore. And then it kind of goes into this, you know, sort of very mild uptrend at the top. Um, I do think that Bitcoin will simply continue similar moves as we've seen in the past. Um, it's a combination of two really important factors that create this idea of repeated uh, uptrends and then back down partial, like you said, up, up 10 steps, back six. So this idea of uptrends and then back to a line, uptrends back, um, but not going back lower, but going back you know, at a higher level. Um, first of all is the halvings. Now, this is a Bitcoin. I hope I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole for, you know, Bitcoin beginners today. That's um, cool. But, but um, the Bitcoin um, issuance schedule um, is in these approximately four-year chunks. And that's how it's been It was created from the very beginning. The software had these uh, four-year periods in it. 210,000 blocks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Blocks of approximately ten minutes each. Yep. Now, um, of course, as the um, you know speed of the network increases, actually, it's a little bit faster. So the, the average is probably more like nine and a half minutes per block. But that's okay. A block is just a group of transactions. Now, um, uh, in every block that uh, the, the miners mine, they get uh, a reward for that for doing that work. Right. Yep. Or it's actually really not. It's actually not much work. It's more of a lottery. So they're really just securing the network and preventing anybody else from breaking it. And then for in order for doing that and expending the uh, the energy, they get rewarded with all the fees that we pay for sending Bitcoin back and forth in that block. Yep. And what's called the block subsidy. Now this is how new Bitcoins are created, and it's an inflation rate. Bitcoin started obviously with 100% inflation. With a, there was zero, and then there were suddenly 50 in uh, January of 2009. But then it steeply went down to uh, you know 10ish or whatever. It was, I think 16 for a little while, uh, and then um, it, uh, right now I think it's around 4% annually inflation rate. Right. And uh, and basically what happens every 210,000 blocks is the block subsidy goes down by half. So originally yep. it was 50 per block, then it was 25, and then in 2016 it went down by half again to 12 and a half. So we were getting uh, every nine and a half minutes, 10 minutes, the, uh, uh, 12 and a half Bitcoin are created. New Bitcoin are created. And the miners can uh, can spend that a little bit later. I believe it's a, a couple of days later, 100 blocks later. Uh, I don't know, how many hours is that, people? It's, I think it's a day and a half. So they have to wait a little bit in order to spend it. So uh, in 2020, next May, actually, so less than a year away, yep. uh, the, the block subsidy will go down by half again. So it'll be six and a quarter. And the uh, inflation rate will decrease to, I believe, it's about one and three quarters percent, which is really quite a bit lower than every fiat currency in the world. The strongest mm -hmm. fiat currencies are still above 3%, I believe, 25 3% uh, issuance rate. And that's only what we know about. It's very easy to create fiat secretly and just yeah. take it into the market. It's very conceivable, and a lot of people argue this, that actually the monetary inflation rate of fiat currencies is 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 15%. Uh, and uh, the uh, current paradigm is just ignoring um, or pretending or covering up the fact that uh, you know compu the computing re revolution has increased the efficiency and productivity of the market so much that even having all of this 
extra fiat coming in still doesn't create that much price inflation because there's so much extra productivity and efficiency in the markets. Yep. That's my contention. Um, so it, we have the block subsidy. We have these, uh, the, the, um, what they call the halvening, right? The halvings. Um, that's the four-year rhythm of Bitcoin, which influences the, 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 um, the, the price moves because the more, the less Bitcoins coming into the market, the more scarce it is, the higher the price will go with the equal demand. And then there's the psychology, right, where there's these waves of interest, right? It, it, it's usually, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, what, what do you call that? Um, you know, t tail wagging the dog or dog wagging the tail. Like it, it's, it's, you know, they affect each other, right? So the psychology is affecting cause the and effect. <clears throat> yeah, cause and effect. Uh, you know, they're feeding into each other. It's, it's, it's hype cycles where, um, you know, there is a, um, you know, a vicious circle or, or a virtuous uh, cycle, uh, depending on which way you look at it. So the price goes up, the interest goes up. More interest makes begets more interest, and then more interest begets higher price. So we have psychology and the uh, havenings playing into this uh, hype cycle uh, uh, pattern of Bitcoin where there's these big run-ups of, uh, of euphoria and then a big collapse that's still a lot higher than the previous low. Yep. So I, I definitely believe we're still going to continue that. I'm very skeptical about these idea of the um, of the these cycles being of a predictable length. People are, ch are making these charts, parabolic charts, or, or I'm trying to remember the different mathematical terms uh, for them, but sort of like the idea that it was really steep in the beginning because it was so tiny, and then it, and then it's gradually been, um, you know, becoming a lot less steep over time, and that the cycles are getting longer. But I don't necessarily think that's the case because we have so much influence from the wider market. Remember, the Bitcoin um, ecos uh, market capitalization right now, which is you know, all the outstanding Bitcoin times the price is, you know, something like 120 billion or whatever it is right now. And that is such a drop in the bucket compared to the world economy. It is, which you might, yep. You might think the world economy is 300 trillion or whatever it is. So it's far less than a tenth of a percent. And that means that, and, and, and any given assets of volatility, and I've noticed, is generally... Um, uh, associated with its size, so uh, the Bitcoin market cap is approximately equal to a mid-cap stock uh, on you know a large exchange like in the U.S. So we have volatility that's quite similar to a mid-cap stock. Mid-cap stock can easily, not easily, but occasionally, you know, once a year, or once every year or two, can uh, can move 10, 20 percent in a day. You know, when there's yep. some crazy news that comes out and everybody floods in and it's not very liquid because the market's just you know only 100 billion. So we have the situation where it's very volatile. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, people say, oh, it can never be a currency because it's too volatile. It's like, well, you know, it's growing. So the idea is that by the time it becomes an actual day-to-day -day currency, which it's definitely not right now, um, you know, the idea is that the market cap will be a thousand times bigger or, you know, whatever, a hundred times bigger at least. So um, I think we're two to five years takes us to 2024. You know, uh, the other factor that I want to mention that has a huge effect on the price of Bitcoin is externals. Right, um, the, the the that rest of the economy, that other 300 trillion, is doing things and has all sorts of stuff going on, uh, and there's giant central banks which are all colluding with each other um, in order to uh, basically control the economy and steal from as many people and with as as much as they can at once. Um, 
the, when they announce that they're going to flood the economy, it's not a flood the economy, when they announce that they're going to give their friends their script in order to buy real things from people who work and do actual work, um, then people change their habits and they run to safety. Yep. So um, we have uh, lots of murmurs in the wider economy uh, over the last six months of uh, what they call accommodative policies, which is just more stealing, you know, than than we have had in the past two years. They're, in other words, hi, we're indicating that we're going to steal more. So then people say, oh, I want to put it in something that can't be stolen as easily. And Bitcoin is a great way to do that. So Bitcoin and gold is up a few percent. Um, other sort of state, what they call safety assets, which is, you know, means that it can't be as easily stolen for, uh, by central bank cabal, uh, you know, cartels. So um, that's another sort of background issue in the wider economy where if, especially China, right, is being extremely accommodative. They're on the verge of a banking crisis, it seems. You know, they, they're taking over banks and injecting liquidity. In other words, giving their friends, the banks, money to, to lend to each other back and forth. And, you know, that means that the yuan is going to devalue. So I'm assuming yep. quite, a, quite a bit of uh, uh, investors uh, on that side of the pond are trying to get some Bitcoin. And meanwhile, um, you know, institutions are also picking up positions because, you know, there's a lot, Lindy effect, you know, there's a lot more trust in Bitcoin now. And they're realizing that, wow, by allocating a percent or two, we could really have a great insurance policy here. So there's a lot of factors, two to five years, six to 2024. I do think that we're in for some extremely uh, jarring shifts in world politics which means world economy because the politics is controlled by the central bankers so i think we're going to see some really extreme things happening over the next six years in the world and therefore the possibility of <coughs> some very extremely steep up moves in bitcoin that will sort of change people's curves that they've been plotting um, yep. and sort of readjust them upward a little bit is conceivable um but it, we could also con continue in the same pattern where we, we're, we're, we're still uh, a third of a percent a day is kind of where we've been at for years now. Um, so it's con very conceivable we can continue on that path uh, where it's averages out to a third percent a day. But who knows? It's definitely going to be volatile, definitely going to be rocky. I do see some massive, like I said, dislocations in the economy, in the wider economy coming up. And that's very bullish for uh, sharp moves up in Bitcoin. Guys, you heard it here on the Bitcoin for Beginners show. That was absolutely corking, crikey. Thank you, Gabriel. I need to pull this um, together if I may. Um, tell me, what advice would you give to newbies? Like if I make a phone call to somebody and say you should look at Bitcoin, give them some advice, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, give them some sound advice. You know what you're talking about. Give, give newbies that have maybe just entered in or thinking of getting into Bitcoin some sound advice. Don't ever buy altcoins if you're new, uh, and if you're if you, if you're a veteran, don't ever hold altcoins. Only gamble and speculate on them. And even then, I don't recommend it because those <clears throat> they're basically scams. So by buying them, you're therefore uh, monetizing them. You're you're funding scams. So don't fund scammers. Stay away from altcoins. Bitcoin. Uh, should be secured if you buy more than a tiny amount you know if you buy more than 50 bucks or 100 bucks if you're buying you know at least you know 
whatever, whatever's a lot for you, you know, whatever's a good, a good amount of money for you, you know, or even just more than a thousand dollars worth, definitely store your Bitcoin on some sort of hardware device. And remember that uh, all these devices that we call hardware are just all computers. We got cell phones, uh, you know, laptops, desktops, servers, um, and then there's also, of course, hardware wallets, which are specialized Bitcoin computers. They're really just little computers. So um, the best uh, hardware wallet, in my opinion, is the cold card created by um, Rodolfo Novak. And what's his company called? Do you remember? The name of yeah, the I, I, got, I don't know the name of the company, but I know the cold card, can I, cold uh, card and coin, I've seen it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's called CoinKite is the name of yeah. the company. Do, never order uh, a hardware wallet from a third-party seller. Only ever order from the manufacturer. I recommend a cold card, especially if you're computer savvy. Um, it, it doesn't require that much savvy. But if you're not computer savvy, get somebody who is, because you cannot secure your Bitcoin unless you're a little bit computer savvy. And you sh shouldn't trust other people with your Bitcoin, because you then you don't own it, and they own it. So uh, if you find somebody that you trust to help you set up a cold card, somebody mentioned OpenDime. Um, CoinKind also makes OpenDime, but that's not a secure storage device. That is a uh, bearer hardware cache device, which doesn't require any password. So if somebody steals it out of your hand, they can spend it, which is actually awesome for certain use cases, not for storing <laughs> your savings. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's another amazingly cool device that's just revolutionary. I mean, I can't. It's so good. It's it's amazing. The Open Dime. But in any case, for your storage of your of your of your device, I do recommend a cold card. But if you if you if you're very computer savvy, you just happen not to be that computer, if not that familiar with Bitcoin and listen to the beginner show, um, feel free to use an offline computer. Grab an old laptop, especially one with a uh, Wi-Fi switch, or take out the uh, Wi-Fi card yourself, and uh, that's even better. Uh, store your Bitcoin in an excellent, secured, uh, you know, wallet like Armory or another very se highly secure wallet where you can uh, split up the keys so that um, you're you're only ever typing your private key into the offline computer and it never hits the internet. That's another great way to store your Bitcoin. Always keep your Bitcoin private keys off of a device that ever hits the internet. That's what the open, um, the uh, cold card is. Uh, all hardware wallets are that. So they're, they're never supposed to uh, be hitting a device that hits um, the internet. Uh, so that's my advice. Only buy Bitcoin, put it on the hardware device. Always keep your keys. If you don't have your private <coughs> keys, you don't have the Bitcoin. You only have a claim on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I recommend Trezor. Uh, I've got mine on the Trezor. Um, obviously, you've now heard it from Gabriel. He's recommending um, the cold. What did you just say? Cold. Cold card. It's cold card. cold card. I was going. Is is it a different company that make cold wallet? Is that another one? Isn't there a cool? There's one that's always hitting the top of Twitter all the time. It's constant market. Cool, cool wallet i think it's called anyway look guys you heard it from from somebody who's very very cryptographic very very knowledgeable the one thing you don't do and i talk about it all the time on my shows is leave your bitcoin on an exchange um you've heard gabriel say it you know depending on what you see as a lot of bitcoin get it off an exchange because i don't care what exchange it is i don't care how many millions or billions that exchange is worth they will be hacked at some point and if they own your bitcoin you 
you don't. And if your Bitcoin's gone, it is gone, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So, uh, Gabriel. Another, another detail. Wait, wait. Don't trade unless you're a really experienced trader in other markets. That's fine if you want to get, even then, only gamble with a small amount of your savings, which you probably already do if you're an experienced trader. But don't try to trade, even though it's really easy and the barriers to entry are low now, don't try to trade unless you really, really know what you're doing. That's super risky. You'll definitely lose because everybody else knows more than you. So don't trade unless you're very experienced. Absolutely. And if you go back and look at my previous shows, many of them, I've said, don't trade. You know, 90% of traders get totally wrecked. And some of these people have got years and years and years of experience on Wall Street, on the stock market as traders, and they get wrecked. You've only got to see what happened. Look at the candles today from Bitcoin, how the thing was climbing and climbing and climbing. And I watched that red candle just fire downwards, something like 1500 or more dollars. You know, you cannot, if you trade, it doesn't matter how clever you are, you will get wrecked and you will lose your Bitcoin. For me, buy some Bitcoin, get it onto a decent hardware device, and then just don't expose your private keys anywhere. Gabriel, thank you for being on uh, with us today. We've taken an hour and a quarter. My apologies, guys, but I hope you found it was valuable. Um, Gabriel, is there anything you want to add, anything you want to plug? I'm just going to pop up now where people can find you, and that is your Twitter account. I don't know whether you've got uh, somewhere else that anybody can find you or anything you want to say. Um, not, not really. really. I'm, I'm not, not that, that active anywhere else. else. Very, Very active, active on Twitter, Twitter at Gabriel Divine. And, and um, I am on uh, YouTube, YouTube occasionally, jumping in here and there. there. Uh, feel free, free to, to, you know, uh, keep, keep an, an eye out for me on Vortex's, Vortex's shows on the CryptoCath network, network, as well as, um, <coughs> as you mentioned, <coughs> um, uh, Adam, Adam Meister on the Bitcoin Meister. And also occasionally I might be able to pop up with Ansel. We'll see. But uh, Ansel and I go way back. Ansel Vortex and I go way back. So definitely follow them as well. But yeah, mostly on Twitter. Just just uh, ch chime in. Feel free to shoot me a DM if you have any questions about this interview or anything else. <clears throat> right. Well, I'm chatting to Ansel right now to get him on a show. He's agreed he'll come on as well. So I'm really excited about nice. that as well. I just yeah. need to finish up the show, if I may, guys. Just a little bit of uh, promo. Um, I want to plug JustLearnBitcoin.com. They're show sponsors. You know, anything to do with wallet setup and backup. You know, long-term storage solution. Whatever is best for you. Coin splitting, airdrops, questions about mining, literally anything, head on over to JustLearnBitcoin.com and they'll certainly uh, do you a good turn. Um, I want to finish up the show as always. Uh, you know me if you're a regular. I am very into quotes. I love this quote. <coughs> uh, Who you are tomorrow begins with what you do today. And if you liken that to Bitcoin, you know, what decisions you make today to either let this pass you by, go down the rabbit hole, not go down the rabbit hole, that is going to determine your tomorrow and your family's tomorrows. So Gabriel, once again, thanks for being on the show. I've had an absolute blast. It's been superb. Guys, please follow this on Twitter or repost it on Twitter. If you're watching this on Catch Up, um, on Steemit, give us an upvote and a re-steam. I'm over there on Steemit. It's on bitbacker.io. It goes up on BitTube. Um, 
do like it, share it, subscribe to the channel, bash the bell button, all the normal stuff. I'm going to end the show there, guys. Gabriel, thank you for being on the show, my friend. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And guys, until next Monday, have yourselves an incredible Bitcoin day, Bitcoin evening. I'll catch you all on Monday's show at the normal UK 6pm time. Cheers, everyone. We're out of here. Bye for now.